Once again, welcome to Harvest. We're so glad that you're here today. If you're visiting with us, man, if we can help you, serve you in any way, please let us know. We'd love to do that. But now is the time in our service where we dive back into God's Word together. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and grab that. Uh, if you don't have one with you, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you underneath the chairs. You can grab that and follow along there as well. Um, so we've been in this series since the beginning of the year uh, called God's Money. And we've been trying to, uh, to examine from the Scriptures... What is God's view of money? What's his perspective on how we should handle it, how we should use it, how we should earn it, how we should spend it, how we should save it? Like, what does God have to say on these topics? Because as a church, we call ourselves a vertical church, which means we want to have God's perspective. We want to have our eyes on him and thinking the way he thinks and and walking the way he wants us to walk in all areas of our life, including money. And uh, today we're going to dive into this Uh, topic of giving it generously, because as we start to examine God's perspective on money in the scriptures, one of the things that is, one thing that is abundantly clear is that he puts a high priority on being generous. That this is a major, major thing for the Lord. And um, uh, there's a, there's a story I heard uh, Rick Warren tell one time. Um, Rick Warren is a a pretty well-known pastor uh, in America and, and has, uh, um, has wrote several books and so on. And he was telling the story about one time when he was, he was 19 years old. He was a college student, and like most uh, college students, he was in debt. Um, that's kind of the name of the game, right? And so he's in college. He's doing the whole thing, and he said he owed the school $500 to continue on with his classes. Um, he had a friend that he owed $10 to that he had borrowed some money from, and he had uh, $50 in the bank. That's all the money he had. And so he's praying about this, like, God, how am I going to handle all these bills? What am I going to do with this? I've only got $50. And he felt impressed by the Lord that he was supposed to give the $50 to God as an offering. So he took his $50 out of the bank account. He went to church. He gave it in the offering. The next week, he was scheduled to go and speak at, like, this youth event, this youth rally or whatever. So he goes and and he does this speaking engagement. And at the end, they decide to take a love offering for him. So they take a love offering. And they collected, you know, it's, it's teenagers, right? Or maybe a couple, you know, sponsors and parents around. So it's not like we're coming, talking about big money here, okay? So they take a love offering and they bring it in. And he received $561 in the love offering. He said, so I took the love offering. I went back to the dorm. I got down and I, I, I divvied it all up. I, I gave $500 back to the school and paid my debt to the school. I gave $10 to my friend that I owed $10 to. And I gave $51 to the Lord as a tithe from what he had just given me, and I was back at zero again. He said, I was still poor, but I wasn't in debt. And sometimes that's what the Lord does, right? He just, he might not move you all the way you want, right? But he, he moves you ahead as you're faithful to him. And if you know anything about Rick Warren, man, he's just been a, a great example of faithfulness to the Lord in giving and in generosity uh, all of his life. We talked about last week that when you're faithful in little, you'll also be faithful in much, right? And uh, several years ago, he wrote a book that was a, a bestseller for multiple years, um, The Purpose Driven Life, and made millions and millions of dollars off of that book. And out of the proceeds of his book, he actually repaid the church that he had served at for years, repaid them 100% of the salary that they had ever paid him from the church, from his earnings. And now he lives off his book sales. He lives on 10% of his income, and he gives the other 90% back to God. Turn it in on its head, right? God loves generous givers. And he continues to reward and bless and provide for those who put him first when it comes to giving and when it comes to using their finances 
but he doesn't do it just to reward us. All right? That's not what giving is all about. It's not just to get a reward from the Lord. God presses us to give more and to be generous so that we can become more like him. Because the reason God loves generosity is because he himself is a generous God. And so what we're going to see from the scriptures today is that God grows me more like him as I give more to him. God grows me more like him as I give more to him. It's a character thing. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. I meant to tell you this earlier. Sorry. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 today. We're going to spend most of our time there. We're also going to reference a little bit Malachi chapter 3. So if you've got a bookmark or something, you might want to stick that back in the Old Testament there in Malachi chapter 3, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. But first, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 starts off, let's look at verse 6. Paul writes this, he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. First point I want you to see this morning about generosity is this. Generous giving grows my faith in God. Generous giving grows my faith in God. Paul starts off here with this whole sowing and reaping analogy again. We've actually seen this like two or three times already in our study of God's money uh, in this series. Because this is a common theme in Scripture. And this picture of sowing and reaping uh, is Paul or Jesus is trying to use this illustration of a farmer. Right? And so uh, Courtney and I spent five years doing ministry in Connorsville, Indiana, this little town in Indiana, very rural community. We had lots of farmers in the church. Um, we would go out, and they would give us fresh produce and all kinds of stuff, and they'd take us on hay rides for the girls, and it was, it was a sweet deal, right? So but I got to learn more about farming. I got to inter- interact more with these farmers. And, and one of the things that you, if you know anything about farming, is when, if you're a crop farmer, when you bring in the harvest for the season or for the year or whatever, and you bring in your crop, part of what you bring in is you take some of that seed and you put it aside because next year you got to plant more crops if you want to harvest more crops, right? And that seed is super important. That's like gold money right there, right? Because if you don't have that, there's nothing else going to be coming out of, uh, of your business or of your farm. And so they would safeguard the seed. They would, you, they would you know, keep it uh, 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 saved up for the next time that they were going to plant. And when it came time for planting season, they would plant or sow, as Paul uses the word here, the seed into the ground. And this, this work of sowing or planting the seed um, was several things. I think, first of all, you have to think, put yourself in their shoes. You're really taking a great risk every time you go to sow or plant. Because you're taking everything that you've saved up, everything you have left to keep yourself going, and you're putting it into the ground, hoping, expecting, praying that it's going to bring a return. And so sowing takes risk. It also takes patience, right? You don't put it in the ground and expect to reap it tonight or tomorrow, right? We have to sow it, and it's going to be a couple months or so before we can reap that harvest back. It takes risk, and it takes patience, and it takes faith. Like, yeah, Mike, it takes a little bit of faith, but, you know, they've done this before, right? Like, they're experienced farmers. They've, they've, they've sown before, and they've reaped before, and they kind of have that experience, and we have that with the Lord, too. When we give to the Lord, when we sow into his kingdom, and later on we reap a reward, that kind of builds our faith a little bit, doesn't it? 
right? When you do what he tells you to do and you see the promise come true, and you're like, okay, yeah, I can trust God a little bit here. And so every time I sow and then reap back, I can trust God a little bit more. And I can trust God a little bit more. And so the sowing and the reaping grows our faith a little. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. There's a process. There's a system that has to happen. We have to sow first, trusting in the Lord, and then later on we will reap, and that will grow our faith. But as much as our faith grows in that system, in the back and forth of God's promise there, any farmer will tell you that sometimes, occasionally, there are seasons where the harvest isn't so good, right? Sometimes the harvest doesn't come in like you thought it was going to when you sowed it, right? Whether it be famine or whether it be, you know, freeze or insects or whatever, like something messes up the process and the system and it doesn't quite come back the way you were expecting. And I believe that in those bad seasons of harvest, God is actually growing our faith even more than in the good seasons, Because when a bad season comes, when we don't quite reap what we thought we were going to reap, he's saying, do you just trust in the system or do you trust in the God of the system? Is your faith just in the, I've done this before and I'll get something back? Or is your faith in, I'm going to give this because God's asked me to give it and I'm going to trust him that whatever comes, he's going to take care of it. I've said it like this before, trust in the provider, not the provision. That's where the real faith starts kicking in. When it's not just in the system, when it's not just in the reward, when it's not just in the promise, but it's in the God of the promise. I'm trusting the provider that he's going to take care of me if I do what he's asked me to do, rather than just the provision that I think is going to come on the backside of obedience. So Paul gives this analogy of sowing and reaping, and then he goes on, he says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart. This is so, so key. See, faith is tested in our action, right? For you to test your faith, you actually have to step out and do something with it, right? Faith is tested in action, but it's rooted, faith is rooted in the heart. It has to start here. It can't start in the action. So if you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, I'm going to believe in faith, and I'm going to walk in this thing, and I'm going to do this in faith, I'm going to do this in faith. Okay, that's all great. But if that faith hasn't started with a heart for the Lord... It's not really faith, it's just you wanting to get something and you asking God to bless whatever it is you want to step into, okay? Faith is rooted, it starts in the heart and then it's tested in our actions. So Paul says, give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. If you're giving because someone's forcing you to, if you're giving because the pastor's guilting you into it, if you're giving because you feel like that's your obligation to the church, that's not giving by faith. That's giving by extortion, okay? And that's not what God's looking for. He's not looking for people to give because they have to, because he's forcing them, because they they feel like it's an obligation. He wants them to give, he says here, God loves a cheerful giver. Someone who's giving out of joy, out of love for the Lord, whose heart is for God, and so therefore they want to obey God and follow God and honor God in their giving. That takes faith. You have to have faith in God before you're ready to to give to him in that joyful way. He says, but if you do that, if you're a cheerful giver unto the Lord, he says that God will make all grace abound to you. So 
you may abound in good works. It's a super important word right there. You might want to circle that one in your Bible, right? Grace, he'll make all grace abound to you so you may abound in good works. As I give generously, the Lord increases my supply so that I can buy a bigger car. Is that what it said? So I can go buy a yacht. So I can take an extra vacation this year, right? Is that, is that what this goes for? No, he says, I'm going to give you more so that you can give more. Right? He's blessing generosity because he knows those who are being generous with a little, when he gives them more, they'll be even more generous with much. So God wants a, faith, a heart of faith when we give, but that heart of faith starts with obedience. This is where Malachi 3 comes in. So if you've got Malachi 3 there, flip over back to that real quick. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Again, starting in verse 6. God is actually speaking here. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. I love how the Lord starts this. He starts off, he says, listen, the Lord doesn't change. The Lord doesn't change. Since the days of your father, it's been the same thing, right? Like, I, I've always been right here. Return to me, God says, right? Return to the goodness of my word and of my teaching. It's always been the same. God's always had the same stance when it comes to giving and generosity. He's always called his, his people to be generous because God himself is generous. It's about character. It's about who God is. Not just what he wants from you, not just what he's telling you to do. It's about, I want, God's saying, I want you to be more like me, and this is how it happens. This is about helping his children grow in Christ-likeness. He says, return to me, and if you return to me, he makes another promise here, I will return to you. That's actually God's heart right there. That's God's desire. He just wants us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to, to be walking with him. He wants to be close with his children. But he knows one of the major things that separates us and him is that our heart gets off on other things. And one of the big things our heart gets off on is money. And so he says, return to me. They're like, how, how do we return to you? What have we done? He says, you've been robbing God. You've been robbing God because you've not been giving your tithes and your contributions. That's a, that's a big accusation, right? That you're robbing from God. Not giving God what is his, what belongs to him. We talked about the first week that God owns it all, right? He asks us for 10%. We're going to talk about that in a second. And when we don't give him what is his, God says we are robbing from him. And when we fail to give God what he's asked for, it actually shows a lack of faith in our lives. 
God, I can't give you that because I, I got to have it. You know, what if I don't have enough to pay the bills and I don't have enough to, to buy the groceries and I don't have enough for this? And I, don't have enough. I can't give you that because then I might not have enough. And I don't trust you and I don't have enough faith that if I give you what you ask for, that you're going to provide what I need. God tells us, bring in the full tithe into the storehouse. So let's just pause there for a second because that's not a word that we use a lot in our common vernacular, tithe, Right? And this is, a, this is a concept that you can hear different teachings on, even in the church today. So I just want to take you to the God's Word here and show you 10, real quickly here, 10 biblical facts regarding tithing. 10 things that the Bible teaches us about tithing from God's Word. I'll give you this list. You can jot this down as we go. Number one, tithing means a tenth. Tithing means a tenth. It means 10%. That's the literal meaning of the word, Okay. This word is found 41 times in the Old Testament and New Testament. Every single time, God means a tenth, okay? Second thing is this. It describes an immediate gift at your first opportunity. A tithe is an immediate gift at your first opportunity. Back, we, I read earlier Proverbs 3, 9, where God says, bring your first fruits of all your produce. First fruits means you're giving it first there. You're getting it into God first thing, Right? Um, sometimes I'll say it like this, I don't want to come to church with God's money at my house, right? That's a bad play. Yeah, I got paid this week, but I, I set some money aside for God, but I'm not sure if I might need it, so I'm going to hold on to it for two or three more weeks just in case, and then I'll maybe give it later. No, 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 no. God says, bring the first fruits, and sometimes you forget your thing, and God's not going to, like, strike you on the way home, okay? It's all right. Like, if you've got the checkbook this morning, don't, like, get worried driving home, okay? But in our hearts, are we trying to give it first to the Lord? Are we, are we urgent about that? Number three, it symbolizes God's ownership of everything. This is so critical, I think, to really getting the heart behind tithing. Tithing symbolizes God's ownership of everything. Proverbs 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. And he asks us to give him 10%. He lets us have 90% to use for our needs and our life and our family. He only asks us to give him 10% as a reminder that he actually owns it all to keep our heart in the right place when it comes to whose money it really is. Number four, a tithe is to be off the top. It's to be off the top. Again, Proverbs 3, 9 says, the first fruit of all your produce. All your produce, right? We're supposed to be tithing off of our gross income. Before Washington gets anything, before Jeff City gets anything, before you pay your health insurance or your dues for this or your pension or any of that kind of stuff, God gets 10% off of the top. That's what it means to give first fruits to the Lord. Next, tithing is a universal principle. There's some argument amongst uh, Christians today, churches today, are we still supposed, still supposed to tithe today? Is that really still a thing? I think that's like an Old Testament thing. Isn't that in the, that's in the law, right, of the Old Testament. We don't, we don't live by the law anymore. Now we live by grace. And so tithing is not really a thing. Yes, tithing is in the law, but it's actually a universal principle that goes beyond the law. It's kind of like Sabbath. Right? When God created the world, he created in six days and he rested on the seventh. And he said, I rested, so you do the same thing, right? Work six, rest one. 
That's been a universal principle. Did God include it in the law? Is it in the Ten Commandments? Yes, it is. Did it predate the law? Absolutely, because this is a principle, a universal principle that God has set up. First things belong to God. First day of the week, first of my income. Like These are universal principles that we see in God's word, which leads to the next point, number six, that it pre, tithing predates the law and continues after the law. Okay? A couple examples of this. I, well, I think the, the best example of this, you might want to jot the scripture down. You can go read it later. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. You can read the whole chapter, but those are really the key verses. In this section here, Abraham, God's chosen man and his chosen people, um, or the Arab's chosen people, are, are coming back from war. They've just defeated this other um, group in battle, and they have all the spoil from their victory. And they're traveling back, and they come across Melchizedek, who was the priest king of the region. And in the, in the Bible here, he's representing Christ himself. He's the Christ figure in the story. And when Abraham encounters him, he tithes, he gives a tithe, it says, to Melchizedek, as if to the Lord. 400 years before any piece of the law was ever written, God's man was tithing. This is a universal principle that God calls his people to generous giving in this way. The next point on tithing is this, that it has been practiced throughout church history. All right? So we can go past the, before the law, we can also go after the law. If you go back and you read church history documents and, and all the things about the early church, tithing has always been a part of the practice of the church. This isn't some new thing we're trying to institute. This isn't like some new teaching that we're coming up with. This has been something that's been going on for generation after generation after generation because God's people have looked in his word and saw that this is what we're called to. The next one, tithing is a a thermometer for spiritual vitality. Tithing is a thermometer of spiritual vitality in our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, where you put your money shows me what you really love, what you worship, what you're running after. And if we're not willing to give to the Lord what he's asked us to give, then it shows something about our hearts. It shows something about our spiritual vitality. Are we really following after God? Are we really putting him first? Are we really loving him and worshiping him the way that we should if we're not willing to obey him in this? The next one is it's important to God. Like, this is just like a super important issue to God in the Bible. We see a couple different examples of that. I gave you an example a couple weeks ago of Achan in Joshua chapter 7, right? The Israelites are coming in. They defeat Jericho. God says, I'll give it to you, but all the spoil, all the stuff, it belongs to me. Don't take anything. Burn it all up. Destroy it. That's an that's a act of worship unto me. And Achan decides he's going to take some. And he takes some for himself, and he robs God. And because of it, he's found out, and he and his family are all killed. That's Old Testament, Micah. Yeah, okay. New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira. Christians, early church, they feel led by the Lord to go and sell some of their land and to give the money to the church. They sell it. They keep, they keep some of the money back for themselves, and they bring in their offering. They give it to the apostles and say, all right, here's all the money. Here's all the money that we got from selling the land. And the apostles are like, are you sure this is all the money? Like, are you sure about that? And they're like, yes, this is all the money. Boom, God strikes them dead. 
because God takes this serious. Did they have to give it all? No, they didn't even have to give it all to God. They could have kept some. God didn't tell them they had to give it all. But they lied about it, and they tried to act as if they were when they weren't, and they were stealing from God, and they were stealing from his glory. God takes this serious. Now, listen, I'm not telling you that if you walk out of here today and you don't give to the Lord, God's going to strike you dead. Okay, please don't hear that today, all right? But I am saying that there are consequences, and there's discipline that happens when we disobey the Lord, if we're followers of Christ. Last one is this. Tithing, it's a starting place for New Testament giving. It's a starting place for New Testament giving. When you think about the New Testament versus the Old Testament, ask yourself this. What is less in the New Testament than it was in the Old Testament? Like there's nothing in the New Testament that like God takes it down a notch, right? Like it's always raising the bar. Like Jesus, Jesus says, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament law, you were told, do not murder. I'm telling you, if you even hate your brother, that's committing murder, right? Raising the bar. <laughs> the Old Testament says, you, you shall not commit adultery. I tell you, if you even look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart, raising the bar. Jesus didn't lower the bar, man. He raised the bar in the New Testament. And the same is true in terms of giving. Old Testament said, I, I ask you to give 10%. I ask you to give a tithe unto the Lord. And in uh, the New Testament, Paul says to give generously and cheerfully and joyfully. And what that, in, what that interprets as is generously means above and beyond even the 10% that God asked for in obedience. So the tithe, the 10%, that's the starting place. And from there, God grows us as we walk with him, as we love him, as we worship him. He grows us in generous giving. Previous church we were at, I remember one time we were sitting around having a conversation with some of uh, the church members about this topic of giving and tithing and so forth. And one of the ladies uh, spoke up and she said, every time, Every time we get paid, I sit down to pay the bills, and the first check I write every time, I always write my tithe check first. Because if I wait till the end, I pay all the other bills, and I wait till the end, it seems like there's never enough left to pay for the tithe. But if I write the tithe check first, we always have enough to end up paying our bills. Right? And, and, and her, her point was, like, I have to do that as a, as a discipline unto the Lord. That's the difference between giving God your first fruits and giving God your leftovers. Don't put God last on the pay schedule. It's not going to go well. Because you're always going to run out. You need to put him first. And you're like, well, Michael, but if I pay that, what, I might not have enough money for the electricity. I might not have enough money for the groceries. I might not have enough money for the rent. Like it might, if, I, if I pay that first, I might not have enough for the other stuff. And I would say to you once again, trust in the provider, not the provision. Don't trust in the money. Don't trust in the paycheck. Trust in the Lord. And he will provide everything you need. It's promised in his word over and over again. First and foremost, be obedient to him, and he will bless and he will meet all your needs. Maybe not all your wants, but he will meet all your needs. And your money will go further if you tithe first. I've said it like this before too. 90% with me and God is more than 100% with me on my own. I don't know how that works. I'm not a mathematician. Some of y'all are mathematicians and you're like, I've done that math. That doesn't add up. Okay, forget the math, all right? Throw the math out. This is a different set of rules here. 
God's economy says that 90% with me and God will go further than 100% with me on my own. How he does it, I don't know. He stretches it, he multiplies it, he, God takes care of it if we'll trust him. It's about faith. It's about growing our faith in him, not just our money. So the big question on this is, what is this? What does your current giving reveal about your faith in God? What does your current giving reveal about your faith in God? All right, we need to move a little faster now. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, looking at verse 10. Paul continues on here. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Second point today is this, generous giving grows my resources from God. It says here that if you give from a heart of faith, from a heart that trusts in the Lord, that he will multiply your seed. He will increase your harvest. Why? Because of your faith. Because you've lived out your faith in generous giving, and he loves to bless that. Proverbs eleven twenty four says this, one who gives freely, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers once. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. This is so counterintuitive. Right? This is so countercultural. This is so counter to every single bone in my fleshly body, which tells me that if I give away more, I'm going to have less. Right? And God says, no, no, no. That's not how I work. That's not how it works in my, in my economy. The more you give, the more you will have. And it's hard sometimes for us to really swallow that. But if you've ever stepped out and you've tested the Lord in that, you know that it's true. He says, you will be enriched. Again, circle that word there. It's so important to be generous in every way, right? You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You see the connection there again? God doesn't just give more to me because of me. He gives, it to gener- he gives more to generous givers because he knows that they will give even more generously. His reward to us is not just to reward our behavior. It's not just because he's contractually obligated to give us more. It's because he knows it will multiply into more generosity. He gives you more so that you can give more. And then then it really gets good here. Look at this. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The more we give, the more God is glorified. It's ultimately not even about us, it's about him. That as we are generous, as we are giving, it says that that he will get even more thanksgiving, he will get more honor, he will get more glory from those who see us being generous as he is generous. So he gives us more so we can glorify him and reveal the character and the glory of a tremendously generous God. Flip one back, more time, flip back to Malachi chapter 3 again, if you've still got that. God is so sure of this. He's so sure of this system, of this setup, that he tells us to test him on it. Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe in the house that there may be food in my house. Thereby, thereby, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a 
a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke you. I'm sorry, not you. I will rebuke the devourer for you. That would have been bad. Um, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God says, hey, listen, put me to the test on this. Nowhere else in Scripture does God say, test me on this. Like, this is the one spot where he gives us permission, where he calls us to test us, test him by giving as he's called us to give. He says, and if you do that, I'll give you three things, three results right here in the scripture. He says, first of all, I will pour down blessings on your life from heaven. I will supply for you everything you need. Number two, I will rebuke the devourer. I will protect the enemy who wants to come and attack you and steal from you, and he won't be able to steal what I'm giving you because I'm the one doing it. And number three, he says, the nations will call you blessed. That others will look and they will see that you have a God that is generous, and because of that, you're generous, and they will give glory and honor to your God, and they'll say, I want a God like that in my life. And you'll become a light. Through your giving, you will become a light to the world of how awesome our God is. you remember whenever you first started driving, like when you were like 16 or 17 or 20 or whatever you were, right? Like, you know, it seems like the driving age kind of keeps creeping up a little bit. So, but remember when you first started driving and just that, that excitement and, and that, you know, you were ready to experience the, the maturity and the fun and the freedom of being out on your own and doing the thing, but you kind of had that kind of nervous excitement, right? Like, like you're still a little bit of trepidation in there. And maybe especially the first time that you had to drive on the interstate, you might remember that, right? Like, you're kind of pulling down to the bottom of the exit ramp, and you're, like, sitting there, and you're like, okay, here we go. And you, you start going up the exit ramp, and you're, you're pushing on the gas, and the, you're starting to accelerate, and the car's starting to shake, you know, a little bit, and the, 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 the steering wheel's shaking a little bit, and the, you're going faster than you've ever went before, but it's still not fast enough, because by the time you get to the top, all the cars are, like, flying by you, and you're, like, trying to squeeze over into that first lane of traffic without getting ran over. For most of us, that is so far in the rear view, we can barely remember what that feeling was like, right? That trepidation, that awe, that, that I don't know if I can do this thing, right? Because some of us move a lot faster than we used to, um, maybe than we should at times these days. But back then, it was, it was like this whole thing, right? For people who are new Christians, or maybe young spiritually Christians, a lot of times giving is like that. They've never done it before. It's a whole new thing. They're sitting at the bottom of the exit ramp and they're not sure how to get going and how to get in there. And it's, it's a scary thing, right? Like, I, I, I want to obey the Lord and I love the Lord and I know he saved me and I want to do what he tells me to do, but, you know, like 10%, like I'm, I'm at 0% right now, 0 to 10. That's a big jump, right? Like, I don't know if I'm ready to like go for the full 10%. Like, God, I, I want to do this, but I'm going to need your help on this thing. I want you to think about giving like a highway. Think about like God's generosity highway. And when you first get saved and when you first come to this idea of tithing and giving and you're sitting at 0%, man, you're at the bottom of that exit ramp and you're just kind of starting to putter up the ramp, right? And you're not ready to go for the, for the full 10 yet, but man, I can go, maybe I can go 2%, right? So I, I start giving 2% and I'm kind of getting up the ramp a little bit and then eventually 2% becomes 4%. 
right? And I'm, I'm making a little bit more speed, and I'm going, and 4% becomes 7%, and now I'm kind of approaching the top, and I finally get to the place maybe two months in or six months in or a year in where I can finally get to the place where, okay, now I can give 10%, and at 10%, I'm finally merging in to that first lane of traffic, and I'm on the highway, man. I'm, I'm in obedience to the Lord, and I am doing it, and I am in the lane, and God loves that. God loves to see his people grow to a point of obedience to him. But I'm still in the slow lane. I'm still just like barely hanging in there, doing the you know, five under the speed limit, everybody else is like flying by, right? And, and God, as much as he loves that, that's not where he wants to leave you. He wants to grow you as you walk with him, as you grow in your faith, as you grow in your love for him, he wants to grow you and take you over into the faster lanes of traffic until he gets you over in the fast lane with the top down and the hair blowing in your wind, you know, or the hair blowing in the wind, your wind blowing in your hair, and you're cruising down, man, and you're just enjoying life, right? That's where he wants to get you. And how he does that is he grows our giving. We start out with obedient giving at 10%, and God loves that. And then eventually he's going to stretch us where we have to step into sacrificial giving. Where now I'm just not giving the 10%, I'm giving that, plus I'm giving up something else in my budget so I can give a little bit more. And I'm willing to sacrifice something so that I can give a little bit more to God. And after I get pretty comfortable in that lane, he's going to move me to the next lane and the next lane until he gets me over to the far left, which is the extravagant giving category where I'm just all out. God, whatever you want, it's all yours. I'll give you whatever you ask for because I know you're going to take care of me. And this is God's plan for us, and he wants to grow us in this. And as he increases your faith and as he increases your resources, you're able to give more and you're able to give more and you're able to give more because you love him more and more and more. Courtney and I, several years back, made a commitment that we are trying to give more to God every year than we did the year before. More to God every year than we did the year before. Some years, that's a little increase. An, an extra $100 this year, God. <laughs> or an extra, two, you know, sometimes it's not much, but it's something. And sometimes it's maybe, a, it's, a, it's a whole percentage increase or two percentage increase. Like, we want to give more to the Lord. We want to be intentional about that. We want to have a plan about that, that we are going after growing in our finances. We're growing in our giving to the Lord. And every time we do that and we step out in faith, man, he, he shows up and he gives us even more. And he moves us over another lane and he increases our joy and he increases our faith and he increases our resources because we're being faithful and generous to the Lord. How are you doing on that? Have you stepped out and actually started testing the Lord yet when it comes to giving? He tells us to do it. I would challenge, actually, we're all testing God some way. The question is how. How are you testing God with your giving? You're testing him one way or the other, but how are you doing it? If it's no giving, if it's a lack of giving, then you're testing God's patience. And he's a merciful God and he's a gracious God and he'll work with you. But if you keep at zero, if you keep at that, I'm not going to do what the Lord's asked me to do, you're testing God's patience, and there can be discipline for that. If you step up to that obedient level where you're giving that 10% that he's asked you to give, man, now you're testing God's promise that he will supply your needs, that he will give you everything that you, have, that you need to live. And then as you move into that extravagant giving category, now you're testing God's profusion. 
his abundance, his, man, uh, again, I'll give you whatever you want, God, because I know that you're going to take care of it. How are you doing with that? How are you testing God with your giving? All right, last thing today, flip back to 2 Corinthians. We're going to land right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. Paul keeps going. He says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Last thing right here, generous giving grows my love for God. It grows my faith. It grows my resources, point number two. Did I skip that one earlier? Did you guys get that one? Okay, good. Faith, resources. Number three, giving grows my love for God. Paul's here, he references, he says, for the ministry of this service. What's that mean? Well, he's talking about everything he's just talked about. All right, keep it in context. Ministry of the service is generous giving unto the Lord. That's what he's talking about. He says, through this ministry of this service, you are supplying the needs of the saints. That's the practical purpose of giving to the church, right? That's the practical purpose of giving to the Lord is to supply the needs of the saints, to supply the needs of the church, to keep the ministry going, to keep the mission going forward, to keep the kingdom growing. But there's not just a practical purpose to it. There's also a spiritual purpose. He says, not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in thanksgiving to God. That the real reason we give is not just to supply practical needs, but it's to glorify and worship our God and our Savior. Friends, please listen to me today. Maybe this is your first Sunday here. Maybe you're like, man, yeah. Okay, I came back to church for like the first time in 10 years, and of course they're talking about money again. They're always talking about money. Okay, just bear with me, okay? If you are giving to the church, you're giving to the wrong person. We don't give to the church. We give to the Lord through the church. Okay? That's what Paul's saying here. Yes, you're giving to to satisfy some practical needs, but the needs are secondary. You're giving out of overwhelming, overflowing thanksgiving and praise and glory to God. That's where your heart has to be. That I'm giving unto the Lord. And when I'm giving unto the Lord, then I stop getting petty about what I'm giving to and why I'm giving and how he's using it and what's happening. Because I'm giving to the Lord and I'm letting him be the sovereign hand over how he uses that. He says, overflowing in thanksgiving to God. And then I love this right here. Check this. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission or obedience that comes, this is key, that comes from your confession. Obedient submission, generosity only happens through faith and love unto God, not coercion and guilt. If you're giving out of guilt, if you're giving out coercion, if you're not giving out of love, then that's not what God's looking for. He says you have to be giving out of your submission from your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We generously give to the Lord because God has generously given to us the greatest gift that has ever been given. That's the heart that drives and motivates our generosity. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
God looked down and he saw that we were in need, that we were broken sinners, that we couldn't fix ourselves, that we couldn't earn our way out, that we couldn't pay our way out, we could never give enough gifts or offerings or worship or do enough kind acts or good works to ever fix the problem. He says, so I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you my son, Jesus Christ, come to live and be born as a human to live a perfect and sinless life and to go to the cross and die a sinner's death, to pay for your sin, for your guilt, for your debt that you owed to a holy God when you had rebelled against him. He says, I'm offering you this gift. And Jesus came and he died for you and he went to the grave and he rose three days later to show that he was God and say, listen, I'm here and I'm here to, to, to finish what we started. I'm God, you need me. Come and trust in me alone and I will forgive your sins and I will wash you clean, and I will give you a new heart and a new life, and you will be called children of God. We can never repay the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We are called to give. We want to give because our God is a giver. Out of love, out of honor for all that he's given us. Paul ends like this. Look at verse 15. I love his statement here at the end. With the exclamation point, mind you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It never gets old, it never dries up, it never, like, it's not like that gift you got for Christmas that you're already like in the back of the closet and you haven't even touched that thing in like two weeks, right? Like, we don't get, we don't get tired of this gift because it's the greatest gift that we've ever received and we can't repay it and we can't buy it back and we can't. But the more we give, the more we become like him. And that's, that's the true prize, is that he makes us generous like he is generous. And his glory shines through the generosity of his people. Courtney and I both grew up in the church. We grew up with parents who were faithful to the Lord and faithful in giving and tithing. This was always a big deal. So they taught us that from the early days of our childhood and my first jobs, high school, college jobs, I was tithing on things. And so when we got married, it wasn't that hard to do the tithing thing. We'd already kind of been doing it individually. So we just kind of put our stuff together and started doing it again. But even though we were already tithing, I remember I look back now over the last 15 years and see how much God has stretched us in our giving, even beyond just the tithing thing, right? Um, I remember they're, they're, you know, coming to that realization that, oh, uh, it's just not just 10% of what my take home is. I need to start giving 10% of my gross income. And God was stretching a little bit, right? I remember going from, okay, well, it's not just tithing on the, the main income. It's also tithing on any additional income. So all the little side jobs or the side businesses that you have. And, and you got to tithe on that too, Micah. Okay, God, all right, I'll write you that check as well. And so it, he kind of stretches you and he grows you. And I remember our first capital campaign 
where our church was trying to build or, or, or get a building, and we had, it was like, all right, we're going to give something above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings for two years or three years or whatever it was, and making that commitment to, to go beyond that or to give to missions on a monthly basis beyond what we were giving to the church or whatever. And there's all these ways that God started growing us, right? We were giving to other outside organizations that were like Christian charities and things like that, and God said, that's great, give to them. But that's on top of the 10%, right? Don't start taking away my part to, like, that's all inclusive. And so God's stretching us in all these ways. And even though our giving was growing, can I confess to you today that for a while my heart was not. My heart was not growing in generosity towards the Lord. I wasn't loving to do this. I was doing it out of obligation. I was doing it because I felt like I had to do this to be on God's good side. Like if, if, we, if me and God were going to be cool and all, then I had to keep doing these further steps of giving. And I, I, I knew that I, my heart wasn't really in it because in, inside of me, I would say things like, well, you know, look at so-and-so. They're always driving a new car. We could drive a new car too if we didn't have to give so much money to the church all the time, right? Like, I wouldn't say out loud because that makes you sound like super unspiritual. But, you know, like inside, like in your head, like you're thinking these things. And, and my heart wasn't there all the time, right? Or, you know, we're, we have that special giving that we're doing, but it's, it's up at the end of the year. And, you know, that, that, if we don't pick up another giving commitment, then I'd be like 50 bucks back in our pocket every month. Like that's substantial. Like we could use that. And so God, I don't know if we're going to give again on this thing or that thing and trying to pull that money back in or you know, they're doing that special offering at church, but man, we, we already give so much every month. Like do we really have to give another thing on top of what we, and this is the wrestling of the heart. And I remember God pressing in on that some and just being, hey, this isn't the way. It's not just about how much you're giving, it's about why you're giving it to me. Right? And, and I, I, I'll just be honest with you, man, there's still times today that I struggle with some of that. There's still times today where I'm just like, man, I'd really like to have a little bit more money to buy what I want, to buy what I need, to buy this for the family or to go on this trip or and this wrestling of the heart and having to resubmit to God the generosity that he asked for because of the great gift and which he's given to me. And so he moves us out of this obligation mindset into a heart of gratitude, into a heart that gives him because he's worthy, because he's given us so much more, because, because I love him more than anything else in this world, including myself. Let me just close with this today. Listen. If you're here today and you're like super uptight right now and you're like, man, this pastor is like over the top on the money thing, like shut up already. Please hear me today. God doesn't need your money. God is not primarily after your money. God owns everything. The scripture says he has cattle on a thousand hills, all right? Like he doesn't need your money. What he wants is your heart. He wants your faith in him. He, he wants your love for him. But he knows that the only way to get that is to get some of the other junk out of the way. Like the way that we tend to love money. And so he calls us to this. He calls us to rise to make our heart more like his heart so we can finally experience all that he's created us to be. God is always more concerned with why you give than what you give. 
God is always more concerned with why you give than what you give. Is the what important? Yes, it is. He's given us some instructions. He's given us, he's called us to certain things. But that's not the primary. The primary is what's your heart? And so ask yourself this final question. Why are you giving to God? Whatever you're giving right now, whatever that amount is, why are you doing that? What is the heart motivation behind that? What's pressing you to give like that? Let's get that right first. And then we'll trust the Lord to get the amount right later. God grows me more like him as I give more to him. That's his goal. That's his purpose, is growing me to be more like God. In our very first sermon of the series, if you were here for that, you might remember I told you that money is a tool. Money is a tool that, that God uses to grow us more like him. Money is a tool that we use to love and worship him. Right? In both cases, the key to using God's money correctly, to using it vertically, to using it the way that he desires, is to give it generously. So no matter where you're at today, maybe you're at 0% right now. It's okay. There's grace here for that. Maybe you're at 2%. Maybe you're at 7 Maybe you're at 10 Maybe you're at 30%. No matter where you're at on that right now, God wants to meet you right there. And he wants to start with you right where you're at and to start to grow you to be more like him. No judgment, no guilt, no shame, no pride, no posturing, just wherever you're at, God wants to start right there with you and to help you grow in your generosity so you can be more and more like him. So I want us to pray for that today, that we would submit ourselves to the Lord, that we would submit ourselves to the gospel and allow him to change our hearts to make us more generous as he is generous. Will you stand with me and let's pray and respond in song this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you, God, for the truth of your word. We thank you, God, for just the love that you have poured into our hearts, Lord, the the gift that you have given us in the gospel, in Jesus. Lord, a, a gift that we could never repay, a gift that we could never could never earn. Father, we cannot say thank you enough for this inexpressible gift that you gave us in Jesus Christ. Lord, but we do desire to be with you, to be like you, to reflect your greatness. Lord, meet us here. Meet us right here, right now, in this place where we are, and help us grow in generosity like you. Help us, Lord, to give more out of love for you, out of a desire to show your glory to all those around us. Lord, grow us to be more like Jesus and start today. Lord, we give you our lives. Make not only our money, but our lives an offering to you. We pray all these things in Christ's name.